Painted by Quarterly's Slush Pile. We've decided to let you in on our editorial process so that you'll have some compassion when we take so long to give back to you. Uh, you will know the care and um, consideration that we give your work. So um, today we'll do our usual and introduce everybody. I'll let you know that we are still not in a sound studio and word has it we won't be till October. So we'll be in my cinder block, very messy office, but at least Tim gets a couch. So I'm Kathleen Volkmiller, and I, um, I'm a personal essayist. That sounds like you might write personal essays for other people. Wait a minute. I'm a personal essayist. Is it like you can hire me to write essays? Well, you kind of can't, but not for, well. Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to call Kathy. What? Personal, it's like being a personal assistant. Right, that's what I'm saying. Personal, personal essayist. Yeah. You can tell me what you want to say and I'll write it all out for you in an essay. That would be an interesting experiment. We'll have to do that. Um, I run the graduate program in publishing here at Drexel and I'm co-editor of the Painted Bright Quarterly along with Marion Wren, who will not be with us today. Sad to say, she uh, hit the ground running back in Abu Dhabi on um, our... Monday night and has some kind of crazy energy things happening. So sad to say she won't be here, but um, we've got four other people. So that's grand. And <laughs> one of them is um, Tim Fitz, who I mentioned is sitting on the couch in my office. Hi, Tim. Hi, Kathleen. My name is Tim Fitz and I'm the author of Hypothermia and the Soju Club. And I've been teaching here at Drexel for about five years and reading for Painted Bride for about three or four years, I can't remember, one of, one of the two. Um, and sitting next to me is the new intern. Co-op, co-op, co co love those interns. Okay. Um, hi, my name is Sharita Vols, um, and I am the editorial assistant in digital communications co-op. Um, I'm a third year student at Drexel, and Really excited for this process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm so excited to be working with her. Um, and out there, out there in the world, we have two people calling in today. The first one up is Jason. Hello, I am back in Brooklyn. I am at my mother's secretary desk, which I inherited, um, looking out onto the beautiful streets of Bed-Stuy. Um, I'm a professor at the Borough of Manhattan Community College of CUNY. And I am so glad not to be calling in from the road. That was really stressful. <laughs> it was. Um, and I think it's amazing that I said that this was going to be grand. And because I know that the reason why I said it is because my, um, my court wife, Maureen McVeigh, is joining us today. Uh, she and I lived together and taught in Ireland for a couple years. And... Um, now we are separated by time and space, but technology allows us to hear from Maureen McVeigh. Hi. Hi, Kathleen. I'm so glad that our cork wifedom is committed to audio forever. <laughs> um, I teach at Westchester University, and I teach primarily creative writing, but also composition. And I am sad that we are separated and not in Ireland. Me too. Me too. Um, I think we're going to have to see where else we can go in a couple years. I like that plan. Yeah. Yeah. 
So um, we're doing fiction today. We're doing uh, Frank Scozari's uh, short story, In the Valley of the Dry Bones. Um, listeners who have never done prose with us before, maybe new entirely, uh, we have the story for you up on our um, pages at pbqmag.org. Um, it should be pretty much at the top. You should find it by that name, Frank Scozari and in the Valley of the Dry Bones. And um, feel free to read before you listen to us discuss or the other way around. But if you want to go read it right now, go ahead. We'll wait. We won't wait that long. <laughs> That's my short story joke. Wouldn't that be funny if we just stayed silent for quite a while? <laughs> so press pause and go read it and then come back. Um, so I'm going to give uh, a, a brief synopsis. Um, we are, we are, it's a third person story, but uh, it's a limited point of view to Sergeant Dex Garner, who is a Marine who is who um whose troop his platoon has been completely wiped out and he is the sole survivor trapped on top of a mountain with no way to escape the fact that the taliban who just killed his entire platoon are now slowly making their way up the hill toward him um it is 13 printed out pages a little bit onto the 13th page and the entire time we are in um, Garner's mind um, as he determines what steps, what choices he might have at this moment. So I think that's it. Anybody want to add anything to the synopsis part? You think that's good? Yeah. Okay. We're getting head nods in Philly. So what did we think? Make Tim start. Well, should I should I read the um, should I read the first paragraph? Sure. That might be a good way to that's start. That's a nice way to start. And then Jason can take it from there. <laughs> Bounce. <laughs> the Valley of the Dry Bones. First, the first paragraph here. They were killed to the last man, despite the ingenious plans of Captain Branson. It foretold their desperate scramble up the canyon, drawing it out of the sand. How they would make a valiant stand on the flats where they had killed half a dozen Taliban. How they would find refuge in the rocks above the flats, giving them time to regroup and reload. How they would make that heart-thumping scramble up the steep, exposed slope with bullets singing over their heads. And how, when they reached the small grove of pine trees at the top of the wash, there would be nothing behind them but high cliffs. And though it would seem they were trapped, they would find cover in the pines with radio for air support. Then the jets would come in from the north from behind the tall mountains, flying so low they could not be seen until the last second and the Taliban would be annihilated by their precision-guided missiles. Thank you. So Jason doesn't really have to go right now. Okay, you know, you're, I, you're I think jump in. What I, yeah, what I like about the first paragraph, and what I like about the whole thing, is that the language and the images are clear. I mean, I, there are some issues I do have with the story here and there, but I don't have to struggle to draw up these images. I know where they are. I know what's happening. And I like that I don't get any sort of real commentary about the rights and wrongness of the war, mm -hmm. which there are many, mm -hmm. because I don't want 
Frank to tell me what he thinks is right or wrong. I want him to give me the images and let me decide for myself. And it seems from the first paragraph that that's what we're, we're going to get to start off with. Okay. We're told what we need to know for the rest of the story right here. We got all right. the information. Right. Yeah. So that was a great idea uh, to read that and didn't even have to do the synopsis once you read that paragraph, right? Yeah. No, it's, it's, a, it's a very good opening. It's a very clear story. Um, there were pieces. So I, I will say, like, I was totally taken by the story. I cared very much what happened. Um, and so it was, but it, but I wanted, I kept reading it with this, like, but I, I don't really get enough of this character. But I feel like it, it's mm. so focused on the events and the kind of the melodramatic outcome that I feel like that distracts from the characterization. And what I really wanted was, was a lot more psychological depth um, and so, like, like there's a there's a whole thing where like they keep remembering um, the religious uh, quotes from Sweeney. One of the soldiers was very religious and is always going on about like uh, you know quoting Ezekiel and all these things about the dry bones. But that that all felt kind of distracting to me. Like it didn't it didn't feel like it was giving me any real understanding. Uh, it, it felt it felt so familiar that it didn't feel in any way, um, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, it, it just, I was, I was almost like wanted to like skip past it and just sort of like get to the rest of the stuff. But I mean, it was, it was weird because on one hand I was really sucked in and I really wanted to know what happened and I was very excited for the yeah. end. You're anxious as you read it. Yeah. I was like, but wait, but in short stories, what I like is psychological depth. I don't read, I mean, that's why I watch television is to find out what happens. I don't read stories to find out what happens. But then, you know, if the story had that impact on me, should I be resisting and trying to be the reader that I think I'm supposed to be? Or should I kind of embrace the fact that I was given this pleasure that isn't the pleasure I say I want? Right. I, right. Bet, I bet you would like those parts more if there was a psychological depth than, than those religious parts. Because I think that's kind of on the way there. Because that gives you, the Taliban's doing the same thing. They're, they're up in the mountains, you know, reciting parts of the Quran at the same time. And anytime I, I always enjoy seeing Americans quote the Bible in reference to our wars and then talking about how uh, the Taliban and Al Qaeda are just crazy fanatics. You know, mm. And they just turn around and do the same thing. As they quote the Bible. And yeah. so, um, so I think that starts to get us there. But then, yeah, it kind of, for me, it, one of the cutoff points was when when he hears the guy speak, the, the guy in the blue turban speaking English too well and thinks maybe he was educated in the States, that to me is like, you got to open that can. You got to dig around in that area. Because that's well, that, that character was the most interesting character, weirdly enough. Yeah. Right? This, the blue turban Taliban? Oh, I cared about him just as much the, as the, the other. Taliban guy who's like, yeah. the, the way he's phrasing it, the things that he's saying... Um, the conflict between the way that um, the soldier is understanding the reality of the situation and what the uh, Taliban voices suggest. Like that was, I, I was actually really interested in that Taliban. Mm -hmm. For me was, was the most kind of compelling character. 
Sure. Um, I think this conversation is really interesting to me because I I did really wish I knew Garner as an individual more. Yeah. You know, and even though Jason, you used some language that made me feel like when you said it was melodramatic. I don't know if it was melodramatic for me. It was high drama for me, but it was a familiar scene. But, But then again, on the other side of that, I, I really felt, you know, I use this language sometimes with my students, like, I don't want your um, story about your poem about your mom in the cancer ward to have only the images, somebody whose mother was not in the cancer ward to have. Do you know what I mean? Like I can. uh, So this story rang so true to me, but I've certainly not been a Marine. You know, like, I, I don't know how to, what to, I think I'm not articulating this well. I have not been a Marine whose platoon has been slaughtered around me. Well, I just had this conversation. But it felt so real. Yeah, and I true. have no, that with my student. students all the time. Like, they'll write a story. I had a student last year write a story that was basically the plot of American Sniper. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was like, you've never left Pennsylvania, dude. Like, <laughs> what's going on, you know? Um, but I agree. I thought this story rang true. Um, right. I read a lot of submissions. Um, I read my students' stories looking for the gems, for the things that they're doing well, so I can praise them. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I read all the submissions to say no, because I can. <laughs> you know, like, no, we're not going to accept this. And I, I don't know. I really... I was really drawn in by this story. I was really engaged by it. Um, at, and when I first started reading it, I thought, oh man, this is just going to be the things they carried, but in, you know, a different location. And I, I, it wasn't. And I, I really um, found it engaging. Right. But I also, yeah. I mean, I, I mean I, yes, the things they carried kind of, you know, comes immediately to mind. But what happens in the things they carry is you have such a clear understanding of what the effect is of the war and how these people are transformed based on who they are and who they become. And then like, and that was, that was totally absent from me in the story. Well, you're right. And that, that's what, how you led with this. Like we don't really, and what I was trying to respond to and got all tangled up. I don't know who Garner is specifically, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's an American Marine. And I don't know anything about the uniqueness of this individual man. Does that make sense? It makes total sense because this is where you could add more details still without commenting on the rightness and wrongness. So many people in this war, in the Iraq war, were just like normal people back in the States who were in the reserves who got sucked up into the war. You can have, you can have a, a background of Carner that could be like anybody's. Um, but yeah, he's sort of, yeah, he falls a little flat here because we don't know what that is. When you see someone who, I have a friend that I grew up with who was, before 9-11, he was a pilot. And then every time we went back to war, they would keep plucking him from his job and his family to fight new wars. And it just went on and on and on up until he was about 40 which seems unique to, to the past few wars compared to in Vietnam. You went, 
you did your tour, you were done, and that was it. If you lived, you were out. But now it's like you get, you're in, you don't know when you're going to get out, or at least it was in Afghanistan and Iraq. So there's this huge life Garner has back home that will add a natural dramatic level to the story just mm-hmm. by telling us he was a teacher or a postal worker or somebody. Right. Telling us any commentary. Three, what did you think? You haven't, you haven't said anything yet. Um, so I think that the story did a really good job of, um, I agree that we didn't really get to see a whole lot of who Garner was as a person, but I think that the story did really well with, um, uh, relaying his thoughts to us in three different ways. So it was not only that third person omniscient point of view. Um, that let us know how he feel, what he was going through. But it was also the, we had the italics throughout. So that was also his direct thoughts. But then we also had the quotation. So we did have um, so a lot of instances of uh, characterization there. Maybe they weren't that in depth, but I thought that was a good um, way to keep the story kind of fresh mm-hmm. for me. It kept me interested. Um, and I also, I was trying to find this one. Um, one of two uh, examples of common idioms that we use. So one was, um, it's a killer, yeah. he said. Um, it's a, it's a killer one. when death is your only way to get back home or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's and a great so, one. Yeah, the fact that that's an idiom that we use, but it's actually literal in this context, I thought was really um, clever. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, I liked it a lot. I can't remember the other one. But um, those are just two things. Yeah. I mean, I think we're saying that we we all stayed engrossed. We all were uh, fully engaged, wanting to see what happened next um, in the story, right? And so I think we should talk about just the quality of the writing for a second, like Cherie just was. I mean, the, I think it's really, really well written. Um, and to, uh, I might be disagreeing with what Tim and Jason said in the beginning, the Bible quotes added some beauty to the story and right around the moment that I thought, Oh, don't keep relying on these Bible quotes. He pulled out of that. And I was grateful, greatly relieved, you know, like a, like a list poem with flower names you know, like, you're like, okay, I'll give you a line of that, but let's get going. And I, you know, it was enough for me that it added some grace and eloquence and it didn't seem totally, you know, uh, inserted in a, in a no, obnoxious think, way. I like the use of the Bible quotes. Yeah. I just wish there were more of that. So that character had the Bible quotes. I need something like that from each character. Yeah. Just a little more of those variations. Right. Especially when it's interesting when people quote, you know, they're quoting something they learned from Ezekiel in Sunday school without really considering the context of that verse at that time. They're just pulling up out verses willy nilly. Right. And, and applying to them these verses to their present situation. Yeah. Is, you know, it's a type of absurdity that's equal to the fanaticism of Al-Qaeda. Mm-hmm. You know, just taking things wildly out of context um, doesn't make 
much sense. But they're so in context for his moment at the moment, though. His moment, yeah. I didn't yeah. think they were out of context. Um, I didn't think they were really fanatical either. Um, I mean, it's, you know, there's a line here where he says it, it didn't bother him because of where they were and the situation they were in. You know, everybody finds God in the foxhole kind of um, and I thought, I thought there could have been a little bit stronger correlation between the quotes and what was happening, but I, I thought there, I thought there was, um, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what I said. I think there really was. Yeah, I my point. Perfect quotes for the moment. My point is when Americans do it, it's just them being religious and finding God in the foxhole. When Al-Qaeda does it, then they're crazy religious you know, nut jobs. Yeah, but that's not in the right. story. Right. You're projecting yeah, that. Yeah. I, we do. It's not in the story, but it is a reality of the situation with. Right. With right. But I didn't find it that he was, that the either one of the characters were justifying what they were doing based on that. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I just found it interesting. It's I not in the it. story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, we made a decision before we started talking, um, that we would not reveal what happens in the end. I mean, you, you so our listeners know the, the tension of this situation, but what's um, not at all funny, haha, but the next to the last, the next to the last paragraph, there's a sentence that I would love to read to you, uh, but I'm not gonna. So you have to go to our website and look yourself and read this story. But honestly, to me, it is so beautiful that it makes me want to say yes, just because of that one sentence. Um, so I do think the writing out here is absolutely lovely, even though I also agree with some of the criticisms we're throwing out, you know, I don't know. This is a really tough one. One of the things I found engaging was, um, you, you kind of assume that, that he's going to die by the end because of the thirst and that being, you know, indicative of imminent death and I thought why do I keep reading this knowing that this person is clearly dying and there's no way he's going to survive um but yet I did I kept reading and I kept thinking like there are still a myriad of things that could happen and I thought that was really well done that yes even though it was almost like hey I'm telling you how it's going to end the author was still interjecting but maybe this could happen or maybe this other thing could happen oh yeah he didn't have yeah we don't we don't know and I think that's really well done I think that's what we were saying from the beginning that the the tension here is um really well drawn it's actually something that I was thinking about too um kind of toward the end when I was reading it and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, why am I still feeling so hopeful about this? <laughs> kind of clear. And, and I think that um, the author, he really did do like an amazing job at like kind of tugging at those heartstrings or whatever, um, because it's, you know, there were the, when there were the instances of him, like, you know, blacking out because of thirst and um, the wounds uh, and he kept coming back. So I'm like, okay, he's going to make it like, he's going to, you know, but um, although like the, the reality of the situation was grim, I was still like hopeful throughout the whole, the whole yeah. story, yeah. Um, which I thought was like really awesome. It was really awesome about this story. Mm-hmm. It made me hate myself for loving it because it's like, no, like fiction is supposed to be character revealed through action. And if I'm focused on outcome as melodrama, then that's a problem. And like, it's supposed to be about, you know, the inevitable results of character playing out. But um, 
I don't know. I, I was, I was certainly taken in. Yeah. So this kind of makes me think of when you're talking with a colleague about one of your stories and they say, or a student, and they say, does this work? And you say, well, yeah, it works. Definitely works, but is it as good as it's going to be? I don't, this story definitely works and the writing's great. And it gets from the beginning to the end. But the, the kind of thing that I'm really thirsting for in this story is where, like, and this is just maybe my desire for it, but whatever, just moments of like riffing. Like, I think there are places where there are great spots when they're talking about the leg, just not telling me the pain is terrible, but like, let me get off on the image of some spiel about the leg, about the YouTube, like what happens to people on YouTube. I mean, I think of like Daniel Pearl getting his head cut off and stuff like that. And the horrors that there were, especially like in the mid 2000s, they released these videos. Um, and even the thirst, and the thirst is his mouth is really, really dry, as dry as the driest valley. But I know that's what being thirsty is like, but I know thirsty is more than that. I know being that type of thirsty has other physical effects on you that I don't see here that I know exists. Mm -hmm. So there's like these points where I just feel like if it's baked for two hours at 325, this has been in the oven for 70 minutes. Mm -hmm. And like, if you took it out and tasted it, you'd be like, yeah, this is good, but it's gonna be really good. And I know I always say that this is, makes me know that's there. Like, I know it's there. I've got like a metal detector. I'm running. Yeah. Over and thinking, yeah, there's spots in here. Yeah. Where there's gold. I wonder, I mean, from a very logical point of view, if he already hit 13 pages, if he's concerned about making it too long of a short story in, in this time and space in 2015, 17, 2015. You know, what also is interesting is uh, the people I've talked to, not everybody, but calling him the blue turban, which I like identifying him that way. But there's no, it's very politically correct as far as how he's referring to the enemy. Yeah. And it seems that that gets washed out once you're killing people. I, there's a guy I went to high school with who posted, he's, he was over in Afghanistan for a while. He posted, someone must have contact, contacted him shortly after because he posted uh, about a thousand word uh, note about how they find information in somebody's house in Afghanistan and how they rough people up and scan their eyeballs and drag them out and take them for interrogation. And it was horrific. Uh -huh. And then somebody must have called him and said, hey, get this off, because it was deleted before I could copy it and paste it and send it to the newspaper. Wow. Uh, and that, and it was just a complete lack of humanity. Now, I know that's not the way it is for everybody over there, right? but this is, it was a flavor. And I could see that, you know, he was probably a nice guy. He's just been over there for a while, and he's, he's in a pressurized situation that makes you deal with day-to-day -day events differently than. Yeah. Sitting in the center block office. Yeah, yeah. I, I the blue turban specifically. I I was really psyched that he used a blue turban because the images when he does describe it, it popping up as he's looking down the hill mm -hmm. through the trees and everything. Those some of those descriptions I thought were really well crafted. Yeah. 
um, when the blue turban keeps popping up again. Guys. Oh, I was just thinking during a discussion of, of um, government and reporting during my students, a couple of them started talking about this show they're watching and how it's like really making them think differently about the American government and realize like stuff that's going on. And I was like, are you talking about House of Cards? Uh, and like, yeah. And I was like, that's fiction. That's made up. And But I don't know. It's, it's like it sort of put this bee in my bonnet about like, how fiction shapes our perceptions, particularly of things that we don't understand. And like, what are those obligations? And meanwhile, I have like 25 students who think that, you know, House of Cards is real. Well, were they really saying it was real or it was helping them come to a better understanding? No, it was like, these are things that you can do. Oh. Like it was, and, and the only way I was able to convince them that fiction is fiction was by asking them to think about like every doctor show they've ever seen and how the only thing that I've learned about doctors from watching television is that they have sex all the time <laughs> with each other constantly. In inappropriate like, oh, yeah, places within the hospital. Right. And, right. and then they're like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. That has to be a convention of drama because there's only right. Like that. We all know that when we go to the doctor, like, how, like how how many sexy doctors have you seen in your entire life? Um, yeah, so I. I <laughs> but it, it but it it makes me both feel like unqualified. It's like okay, so I don't know anything about what it's like to be on a battlefield. So I'm I'm using my own gut instincts as right. feels real to me or not, which may be its own problem. But then am I yeah. going to be the only people who can edit fiction about war? People who've come back from war? Am I going to go down that rabbit hole of like you know the only you know. Oh, oh no! Exactly. That's what I was saying way in the beginning. I that it rings true, but how do I know what the truth is? You know, and I, I'm a big. Um, I know that those of you who know me know I don't read the cover letters because I don't want to be influenced. Some of our editors do, and some don't. I don't. And um, we started talking about using this for a podcast and getting permission from the author and stuff probably about a month ago. And I, every now and then the thought would pop across my brain. You should go see if this guy was a Marine, right? The very you know, very obvious thing. And, um, I finally broke down this morning and looked and he doesn't really say, he just tells us, he doesn't say anything about his past other than where he's been published. So I also, so, 10 years ago while reading for PBQ, like back when everything was still on paper, Mm -hmm. um, a terrible story about a murder and the cover letter I always read the cover letter last was from a psychologist who announced that he could verify the veracity of the female murderer um, because of his professional experience and asked us to use a female pseudonym to publish it so that it would seem like a woman and I was just like everything like so so there is the other point where like someone like i actually got what i wanted right here's a professional who says to me i work with murderers i know what they're like here you go and i'm like no this is a terrible story wow interesting i think I'm i thought right. you were gonna say you were afraid the person <laughs> murdered somebody <Yeah. laughs> oh, he wondered if you should so call that, the fbi so that psychiatrist is now is gonna like have this positive reinforcement they're writing the stories <laughs> of her patients now she's going to start encouraging them <laughs> to kill more people so she can write more stories. Did we reject it? Fantastic. Yeah. What? Did we, did we reject it, ultimately? 
did it right away. It was awful. Okay. <laughs> well, um, speaking of rejection and acceptance, maybe it's time to vote. What do you guys think? You, you have something more to say? I did want to say that, okay. that Tom Jones has a lot of amazing stories about Vietnam, and he never did fight in Vietnam, but a lot of his friends did. Yeah. And, it, you know, there was some criticism that he was sort of cashing in on their experience. Sure, sure. But I, I feel like, you know, it's all how you pull it off. I, I don't think he took advantage of it. I think he gave them a voice. Yeah. Um, you know, if you if sure. that's the big question, if you can pull it off, it works. If you can't. Have you read yeah, I agree with that. I think that's kind of the point of fiction, right? Like, yeah. a lot of times in the workshops when a student writes a story that's not well done and people criticize it and they respond with, well, no, that's what really happened. And then we criticize that and say, like, well, right. then we'll write nonfiction. Um, so I think to, to rely too much on biographical criticism here, like, if it works for us, then who cares if he was yeah. a Marine or if he, if he was a Marine, he could write a really bad story that didn't work. You know, absolutely. It's, it's absolutely. Writing. Yeah. 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 Right. The therapist who has to treat the guy who keeps saying he was in Vietnam, even though he wasn't, but the therapist was in Vietnam. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Really well done short story, but it's, a, it's really good. I'll, I'll find it for the next podcast. All right. All right. Yeah. Or find it. We can put it on. We can put a link on the notes. It's, it's a linkable. Um, all righty guys. Let's do it to it. Uh, you know, I never think until this exact moment whether or not we have an odd or even number, and we do have an odd number, so thank goodness, because I feel like I don't know what's going to happen. Here's our own PDQ slash pile traumatic tension. So Maureen and Jason will both text in their answers to Ryan, our sound engineer for today. And um, those of us in Philadelphia, Tim is hiding. He is literally hiding. He's brought himself into the couch. He doesn't want to know the results. Here we go. One, two, three, vote. And it's in, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Frank Scozari. So now, listeners, if you didn't read it in the beginning, now you're probably really going to want to. So I'm psyched. Um, so, um, uh, this will be in PBQ print nine. I'm not exactly sure which online issue, but it will be accessible um, on our podcast pages at pbqmag.org. Um, thank you guys. Wow, I'm exhausted again. Sometimes these things exhaust me. The tension at the end there, I, I couldn't breathe. <laughs> Is everybody okay? You're so dramatic and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're okay. Jason, are you there? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. We're all together. Um, does anybody have anything else to say before we sign off? Anything great you've read or listened to that you want to share? Anything non too topical that you want to say? I really liked Big Little Lies. I thought it was really good. Uh, I watched it too. That was like my guilty pleasure show. For a little while there too. I liked it too. Did you know what was gonna happen? I did not. I, I was actually well I I saw the New Yorker website just had like a, a like headline that said the um the cathartic finale mm-hmm. the lies and then I was like, Oh, it's gonna be the one you want to die to die. So Oh, okay. All right. No, no, no. We didn't say spoiler alert. Stop talking. <laughs> Everybody, I have heard you should not read the book. Does that mean to say aloud on the podcast? It's not a good book. I heard it is not a good book, but it was, a, who am I to say? That author's laughing all the way to the bank. 
Well, I'm in my cinder block office. Alan <laughs> so. show. My husband was like, "Wait, is it a David Kelly show?" And I was like, David Kelly show. Yeah, yeah, it was super fun. I brought up Alexander Skarsgård to my students um, in a very complimentary way, thinking much more of Tarzan and Big Little Lies. Okay. Well, and um, I was stunned and dismayed. Uh, half the room didn't know who he was. I was like, "Google him up right now." It was I, saw, I saw his Hamlet. Oh my gosh! It was a disaster. It he was, was bad. No sense. What happened? It made no sense at all. There was no ghost. When when um, Hamlet talks to the ghost, there was no ghost. Wait, you saw this on stage? Yeah, um, he was the classic stage company. And, and he was Hamlet. He was Hamlet. Um, Peter Spinella was Polonius and amazing. But like, Ophelia huh. was on stage for her own burial. You were like, why is Ophelia there? She's being buried. How was Alexander on stage? I, 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 bad. I didn't, I didn't enjoy, oh. I did not enjoy this production of Hamlet at all. I'm sorry. Oh. And Peter Sarsgaard is listening to our podcast. I apologize. I know Maggie is, is like, a- but I'll boy you back up by telling you that I now make students Google you as, <laughs> as <laughs> we take me way too long to explain why, <laughs> but I swear there was a pedagogical reason. I was actually teaching something. Um, so, all right. Thank you everybody uh, for being here today for discussing. Thank you listeners for listening. Um, Please follow us on, we're on all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and um, subscribe to the podcast and then share um, your love of it. Um, if you do it on social media, please use the hashtag TryTRYPod um, and um, keep reading. Thank you very much. Woo-hoo!